This podcast is a peek behind the curtain for those of us who never had the pleasure of serving America in uniform. And we seek to highlight the pride, privilege, benefit, and sometimes sacrifice of that service that's unique to just 1% of the citizenry. While usually appreciated and often revered, their service is foreign to most, yet they represent threads woven into the very fabric of our culture. These are their stories. These are their demons. These are their lessons. This is the Carry the Load podcast. So, again, in 05, you, you, you find yourself in Iraq, though. Mm-hmm. You were part of an armored unit serving in an infantry capacity. Correct. What, what was the climate like over there at that time? In climate? Iraq? As in weather? Or no, the climate no. as to what was going on? What was, how, how were things over there at that point? Tense. Um, the 05 deployment, it was, you know, it had only been there a year and a half by the time I got there. Um, we'd only been, as a nation, we'd only been deployed there for a year and a half. Um, it still felt like the old west, if you will. Um, ROE was different the second time versus the first one. Um, not that we weren't in control of what we were doing. We were just out shooting everything up, but the climate was pretty intense. So the, the battalion I was in was handling those ECP operations to the base, to the, okay. to the security. My function was not. We were, we were deployed outside the wire, so we weren't handling base security, what we were doing. That was the unit as a whole was responsible for that. Uh, but as the scout section, which I was put into the scout section when I came back to my home unit, uh, we were outside the wire all the time. We by were, outside the wire, you mean you're, you're extending beyond the base camp? Correct. Anything significant in that first deployment? Or was it pretty routine? Um, significant how? In my experience, what I thought war was going to be like. Um, I kind of expected it based off of all the briefings we were expecting. Things were already happening in Iraq that were um, IEDs and things like that, or VB IEDs. We were experiencing those. Um, Handling certain, you know, handling cells um, of insurgents that were in our area of operations. I kind of expected what was coming, uh, only because we talked about it right from pre-deployment all the way through, you know, entering theater in Kuwait and then moving into Iraq. So I kind of knew what to expect. Um, But doing some of the things we did when it came to supporting operations for opening up a school where the the girls were allowed to go to school, not just the boys. So bringing that back, opening up um, or reopening a medical facility that was evacuated as soon as the war started. How did you support those operations? A lot of people don't think about that stuff. uh, We were supporting log packs coming in, uh, being or meaning bringing in all the um, the medical supplies and things like that. So you mean like like a logistics train? Correct. Okay. Did you ever have a situation where you are escorting a group like that? You get everything set up, you leave, and then all of a sudden it gets blown up or torn down again. Yes. How frustrating was that? Extremely frustrating. Because we were trying to bring back 
or we were trying to bring freedom to um, to the people that were there. Back to you know bringing some sort of peace, if you will, um, to the area, so the people would go about their normal lives again. So here y'all here y'all are bringing good goodwill to the area. You help get a school set up so the children can be educated. Three weeks later, somebody destroys it. Were there kids in it? No, it was empty at the time. Well, it's got to be somewhat comforting. Yes, definitely. That no children were hurt during that. So not not a lot of not a lot of uh, significant events other than that from your first deployment, right? It was pretty routine. Looks to me like there was something more going on. There were lots of things going on. <laughs> what sticks out? Um, every other day, uh, firefight engagements. Um, not always on a daily basis, but those were fairly intense. You learn to deal with it. Describe for people the first time you were engaged in one of those firefights. What's what goes through your mind? Help help people understand what our what our deployed men and women deal with. It gets quiet real quick the very first time because uh, nobody realizes you need to look at what you've been trained to do. Uh, the first time it's a it's a shock um, until. The first person starts saying something. Um, we were mounted at the time. I started taking rounds on the pa on the driver's side. I was on the passenger side as a truck commander. Um, first time it happened, just you, you just you can't believe it's happening. Um, you know, you're in a foreign country where it happens. Um, you got brothers and sisters in arms that are dealing with it every day. But the first time, it's just a real shock. What was the feeling for you personally? I was an adrenaline rush. <laughs> um, not a, I'm enjoying this, but it's a, I don't know. It's hard to say this and think of who might be listening. Um, but it's almost like, well, thank goodness. I've been trained for this for how many years and it's finally happening. Now I can use all that training that I was trained for for so long. Um, and so that adrenaline rush kicks in and then it does become muscle memory at that point because everything comes back. And did y'all lose anybody on any of those skirmishes? Um, we didn't lose him, um, but he was hit by an IED uh, and was medevaced out to Germany. He was bleeding pretty bad, um, but we only lost one guy in those skirmishes. Lost a couple other buddies, but... Um, did you ever hear from him again? No, I didn't. Um, kind of lost contact. 05, the internet wasn't what it is today. Um, cell phones <laughs> weren't what they are today. Um, so that's got to be that's got to be a challenge. I mean, here you are in in Iraq in 05. You're in firefights. Y'all rotate back home, and you're just expected to kind of mesh right in with everything. 
Um, now, I know you, you deployed again in 09, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but help people understand. I mean, it, it's, it's not the same, is it? Will it ever be the same for you when you come back home like that? Um, but coming home, my experience, it'll never be the same. I know I'm a, I know after that first deployment, I was a totally different man than I was before. I How so? The way I reacted and looked at the world, um, the way I react to certain, um, certain situations, um, uh, <laughs> I remember driving to work one day and a truck coming up on my side on the highway backfired and I almost went off the road because my reaction is I need to get down. I need, you know, I need to get out of here. I need to get away from it. Um, it's not natural, but my reaction was still natural. It hadn't been that long. This was within four or five months of coming home. Um, but my reactions to things were very different. Nightmares were really intense. Uh, they still get that way, but um, they were really daily, <laughs> every night, for a long time. Um, were the nightmares about something in particular, or were they about the overall experience? A couple of that were really intense um, moments. Um, they were frequently about that, but a lot of it was flashes um, from the experience itself. What in particular? Um, engaging, um, we had received some intel um, of a cell leader in one of the uh, towns where we were at, um, engaging um, engaging the house that he was in, uh, just getting into a stack, um, into a four-man team to, to rush in. Uh, the adrenaline was probably, I look back at it, I could probably hear my heart pounding in my ears. Um, because you just don't know. Um, it's different when you're not in a confined space, at least how I look at it. Um, when you're in the open, it, it's, it seems different, but when you're in a confined space, close quarters combat is very, very different. Um, I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, here we go, here we go, here we go, and just keep saying it over and over in my head, here we go, here we go, here we go, and then when the door opens, and then you stop saying it, and then it's muscle memory. Everything you keep training for uh, kicks in. That one, that one comes back a lot. That one came back a lot. How do you think you get over something like that? I don't know if you ever do. Um, um, I think a lot of it has to do with the people that support you and the care that you get when you leave that environment. 
um, I had some really good uh, therapists at the VA that helped. Um, one in particular, when I was in California, um, I moved there with the railroad, um, and the gentleman that that I worked with there, he was a retired lieutenant colonel. Um, he really, he had had two deployments in Bosnia, um, so he kind of knew. It wasn't Iraq, but he kind of knew he'd been in some tense situations in Bosnia in the 90s. Um, but he really helped me get over maybe the, the severe impact. He helped you understand that what you were going through was normal. Yeah. Not that all of the ones that I've worked with haven't. Um, I work with a, a really good or psychiatrist now. Um, over at the Dallas VA. Um, she's on the trauma team. She's really good. Um, we haven't talked in a while, uh, but my psychologist, she's really good. Um, they've helped. Uh, some of the things they've helped me realize. Um, like I said, I don't think I ever get over anything like that, but maybe learn how to deal with it uh, so I can still manage to be productive takes a lot of vulnerability to, to sit here and talk about psychiatrists and psychologists and, and um, your reaction. And so I, I want to say thank you for, for sharing that because I, that's, it does, it takes some vulnerability. And yes, what, what we do in those scenarios, we know that that's not a normal, that's not a normal day-to-day -day life instant. But I, I know from having talked to enough people, the reactions are very normal. Um, and so again, thank you for being vulnerable like that. I, I, I really do, I appreciate it. And I'm, I'm curious though, what, when you came back, how did, how did your, your interaction with other employees, with your family, how did that evolve? Uh, with my family, I don't know that there was uh, there were some differences. Um, one of my biggest fears was that my youngest wouldn't remember me. Um, he was just he was little uh, when I, he wasn't even a year old. Um, when you left, when I left, and he was a year and a half when I got back. Um, he remembered me right away. I don't know if it's just because, you know, you're the male figure that he's always been around or was, you know, the, my, the body scent, whatever that you associate with memories, uh, that was relieving. Um, my other two kids, um, increase, uh, in love and appreciation. My wife, same way. So then you, you find yourself, you're now with BNS, BNSF for five years, four years. Um, and you find yourself getting deployed again. Where, where were you in relation to the first deployment in 09? Um, I was out west in Iraq, out towards Fallujah. 
this time we were stationed down south, uh, Talil, at the Talil Air Base there. Uh, we were running convoy, convoy operations this time. We would bring the trucks in, uh, or they would come in into Talil, and then we would take them out of there after they picked up their, their supplies, their mm -hmm. log pack. Um, and then we would take them out from there and go north. Uh, it'd either be Baghdad. Uh, sometimes we went far east, close to Iran, out to uh, to Delta, uh, just delivering whatever the goods were that had to go. Um, yeah. It was a different time in '09 versus your first deployment in '05. Mm -hmm. Was it any less impactful? No. What had changed from that first deployment to the second one? Well, this time I wasn't dismounted ever uh, outside the wire, off base. Uh, we were always in, early on we were in uh, Humvees uh, and MRAPs until we turned in all the Humvees and went to all MRAPs. Um, and for, for people that don't understand, an MRAP is a... It's a larger vehicle than a Humvee. It's almost a, uh, well, all of them were, had international uh, produced engines, not international, outside of the international of the company. Uh, so better armament though. Better armament. We'd, we'd learned a little bit by then. Yeah. But so had the enemy. So had the enemy. Uh, we were really worried, uh, really worried. We were briefed that uh, IEDs weren't just IEDs anymore. Now they were EFPs. So the enemy was putting copper plates in front of the blast. So when the blast went off, it would form a shaped projectile that could go through the MRAPs. Uh, it could go through our armored security vehicles, our ASVs. Um, and it did on one of our units. Um, and it took off both legs uh, for the gunner in one of those ASVs. He was medevaced out. So when you hear that, that 30 minutes ahead, a convoy just got hit, how does that change your thinking? How does that alter your, your, your actions? Does it? Um, your mindset changes. The, uh, the jokes that we're telling each other, that kind of stuff, that all stops. Um, things really get serious at that point because now we're really ice peeled. Um, so that kind of information coming across back to us, that changes the mindset at that point. On an eight hour drive, you are thinking to yourself, okay, it's very possible we're going to get hit by an IED. Then you deploy back to, uh, or you return back to the state side. What are you thinking about as you're driving down the highway for a long stretch? I remember driving downtown Albuquerque. And I just remember just gripping the steering wheel so hard that literally my, my knuckles were white. And I remember pulling my hands off the steering wheel after we got out of downtown that I was, I was okay, but man, my hands were killing me. It's just a natural reaction, even though, like you said, it was the high probability of not anything happening. But in my mind, the, you know, it's, it's not a switch. I wish it was a switch, something you could just turn off, but it's not. What's causing that 
the mind's eye, even though my eyes are on the road and paying attention to where I'm going, my mind is going back to that. So the same feelings, the same anxiety. So you're seeing Baghdad as an example. Mm -hmm. You're seeing the roadside in Iraq. You're not seeing the roadside in Albuquerque. No. I'm scanning for tires, garbage, trash cans. I'm looking for anything that could possibly be a threat. When you left the Army altogether, what would you, what would you like to have been able to leave behind? My emotional state. Back before going in, I didn't have a care in the world. If you, um, not like I did after the first deployment. Um, I mean, I still see a, I still see a therapist. <laughs> I still talk to a therapist. Um, still on medication. I wish I could put that down. Um, and now I realize as long as this has been going on, it's not something that ever goes away. You just learn to deal with it. And then you help, which is why, um, based on where I was uh, and things I experienced, why the Dallas mental health team is, they have a trauma team. So I was assigned to the trauma team for things I'd been through. So um, experience, those folks have that experience to be able to help folks like me um, who have been through some of those intense moments and help you learn to deal with it. What I do we need to do differently? As a society? Um, I mean, dealing with veterans or yeah. I think just the understanding. Um, I don't think everybody understands what military men and women do, what they go through. Uh, vets who come back from a war, what they go through. Uh, I think nowadays we understand what the Vietnam vets go through or went through um, and still possibly go through to this day. Um, I thank them every time I see them because they had it way worse than me coming home. Um, and I haven't asked you this question, but would you do it again? In a heartbeat. You can understand where people are going to look at that and say that's extremely counter to everything that you were just talking about. Mm-hmm. This country, our flag, what it stands for, means way more to me than what I'm dealing with. So I'd do it again. That's, if we don't, everything that we live and die for in this country, there's, it would go away. And I'm not looking, I'm not trying to puff myself up or anything because there's plenty who have gone before me that shed their blood and their life for that flag and for the freedoms that we hold dear 
And somebody's got to do it. People need to realize that you have to stand up for it. And if you don't, we lose what we have gained. So, yeah, I'd do it in a heartbeat. I'd do it again. Well, that begs the question, who are you carrying? Two of my buddies that I lost on the first deployment. Uh, lost one of them while I was home on mid-tour leave. Come to find out, I have that survivor's guilt. Um, I almost wish I hadn't come home on mid-tour leave, but then I don't know if I could have stopped what had happened. But, uh, but then your son wouldn't have been able to recognize you again. Probably. Probably. What are their names? Staff Sergeant Sean Barry and Staff Sergeant Christopher His last name's escaping me at the moment because my head. It's all right. Staff Sergeant Barry and Staff Sergeant Christopher, we can go with that. It's important that we say their names. You know, just like you were talking about, there are those who have gone before us. Thank you. Thanks for your time. You all right? Yeah. His last name was Everett. Aaron, I know that was hard. But I know it was good. You know, I'm not going to sit here and talk to you like I'm a therapist or anything, because uh, I'm, that's probably not a good gig for me. But uh, just wasn't your time, man. If this resonated with you in the least, please subscribe and like, and please, please, please share it with at least one person. These are the stories that make us uniquely American. These are the stories that preserve the integrity of our nation.